you have your Bibles today, we're going to go back to Luke chapter 14 again. Been there for the last couple of weeks or thereabouts. Luke chapter 14, going to be starting at verse 25. Good to have your Bibles. We put the scriptures on the wall to make things easy, but it's good good to be familiar with the feel of a Bible in your hands. Amen. I believe there's something about having the printed Word of God in our hands. I'm not against technology, but you'll hear me say from time to time, you ought to have a hard copy Bible as well. Batteries never run out. You never have to recharge it. Amen. And people, we don't often stop to consider, but people gave their lives that we would be able to hold the scriptures in our hands so never treat that lightly Luke chapter 14 starting at verse 25 and there went great multitudes with him and he turned and said unto them if any man come to me hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters yea and his own life also he cannot be my disciple let me pause there for a minute most of us understand that but if you're visiting with us that doesn't mean that Jesus is telling us to hate our families it means that our commitment, our love to him in comparison because the, much of the rest of Scripture tells us how to love our families. So please don't misunderstand and think that we teach and preach that we should hate our families around here. We don't. Verse 27, And whosoever does not bear his cross, come after me, cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counts the cost whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him or to make fun of him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sits not down first and consults whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends an ambassador or an ambassador and desires conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Amen. This passage has been central to our subject in recent weeks because it carries a certain weight of expectation. It's not a light-hearted passage of Scripture. It cannot be misunderstood to be a pleasant suggestion of what is possibly required of those who follow Jesus, but rather it is deliberately recorded to challenge us, to cause us to pause and consider the pathway before us. And so we are in the third lesson of our series now, which asks us the question, will you be his disciple? Will you be his disciple? And we, looking at that subject, we have used as our focus a list of three attributes or three characteristics that should be evident in the life of a disciple. And we have established that a disciple is someone who is following, who is serving, and who is growing. And in our second lesson last Sunday morning, we spoke about what it means to be a follower. And uh, after considering the original meaning of the word from the Greek, a follower is somebody who has begun a relationship with Jesus and is deliberately going his way or being led by him. 
we reflected on how the disciples, the original disciples, instantly left what they were doing, followed Jesus from town to town and village to village, trusting that somehow their needs would be taken care of, having walked away from their employment and financial security. We also very easily acknowledged and understood that we cannot follow a literal physical Jesus as they did. He's not likely to walk through the door in flesh as he did back then. However, when we respond to his calling, it will always include taking into account his will and his purpose when we make our decisions, especially the major decisions of our lives. We mentioned and underlined the fact that prayer is powerful, prayer is important, but we also realize that there is just simply some things you don't need to pray about. If you're walking with God, if you've set certain commitments and consecrations, boundaries and principles in your life that are based upon the Word of God, those things should be non-negotiable. When there are questions that come up that contradict or oppose those things in our lives, we already know the answer to those questions because we want to be followers of Jesus. As I mentioned last week, too many believers pray about things they already know the answer to because they want to try and get God's fingerprints on a natural desire or preference. They want to manipulate an outcome. And if we're honest, we all would like to guide our own outcomes sometimes. John 10 and 27 told us that my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And this verse tells us that there is hearing, there is knowing or relationship and there is following or responding correctly to what has been heard. And I've spent quite a bit of time just meditating on this verse recently and it's important we understand it doesn't say that his voice is the loudest voice that it will always drown out all others. It doesn't say that his voice will be the only voice to choose from. In fact, Scripture lets us know that that is not likely to be the case. But the sheep are listening for his voice. His sheep are listening for his voice because they place more importance on his voice because hearing the voice of Jesus is their priority. And after considering in 2 Kings chapter 2, the story of the transition from the older prophet Elijah to the younger prophet Elisha, which is a wonderful example of a master and a disciple, we established that you can follow from a safe and comfortable distance or you can pay the price it takes to follow closely and receive the anointing that comes with that. And we concluded the lesson with the account of Jesus talking to Peter in John chapter 21 asking Peter to follow him again the second time. And when we, look at it, we looked at Peter's life briefly, we, we certainly see that there was definitely a cost involved in following the Lord, but that it was so very, very worth it. Psalm 63 and 8 says, My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. Followeth hard means to cling to. And I I don't know about you, but I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to be a follower of the Lord. Amen. The the series of lessons, I'm hoping that it's communicating to us this subject that it needs to be taken seriously and that to be a disciple of Jesus Christ requires a level of commitment that you need to be ready to make. But at the same time, I want us to understand that Jesus will never call you to do something that his power will not enable you to do. 
Sometimes we can get a bit overwhelmed and think, well, I can never do that. I can never be that. I can never go to that level of commitment. But the Lord will never lead you to something that he will not empower you to be able to do. That's why the psalmist didn't just say, my soul follows hard. He also said, his right hand upholds me. His power and his strength will keep me in whatever it is that he wants me to do and allows me to go through. Amen. We heard that a little bit through the gifts of the Spirit this morning. So we move on in this series to the next characteristic of a disciple that we have on our list. A disciple is someone who is serving. A disciple is someone who is serving. The meaning of the word servant in the New Testament is affected by its context or what is being said around about that word. What is the story? What's going on in that particular passage? And in in the first century world, it was, it was a world where slavery was common, even normal. And I'm not saying that's good. That's just how it was. That's a historical fact, good, bad, or otherwise. The reality is that throughout history, and even still today, slavery was and still is practiced. We don't realize that, but there are still millions of people today that are in some form of slavery. And again, we, we don't suggest for even a moment that that's acceptable. It's not. It's not acceptable. But mankind... You see, because of mainstream media and the age in which we live, and perhaps if we're honest, a little bit of our own ignorance, we often think of slavery as something that only happened in relatively modern history in the United States of America. But slavery has happened as long as there's been humanity. As long as there has been nations and peoples, mankind has been enslaving each other across all nations, all cultures, all ethnicities. If you take the time to study that, you'll find it happened in Europe, it happened in Africa, it happened in Asia, it happened all over the world. Different people enslaved other people that they conquered. It's certainly not the, the way that we should treat one another, but it is, it is not a modern phenomenon that only exists in one part of the world. So when you think about that subject, don't think it all belongs to one country. If you track your history back far enough, most people subjected other people to things that were beyond their own free will amen again not acceptable but that's just that's the fact so we need to we need to understand that across the the spectrum the word slave only appears in the king james version as far as i can find one time in the old testament other than that the word servant is used if you read more modern translations they will often use both the word slave and the word servant, sometimes depending upon the context. When you and I think of the word slave, uh, we think of someone who is being forced to work against their will, someone who has no rights of their own, someone who is being treated as the property of someone else. Again, not right, wrong behavior. So when we consider our relationship with God and service and servants and, and that sort of thing, it doesn't really line up with how we perceive our relationship with God, does it? Because one of the foundational ideas of the New Testament is that of the whosoever will or whoever chooses to. Free will is involved in that process. It's up to each one of us individually to choose to repent. It's up to each one of us to choose to be baptized in Jesus' name. It's up to each one of us to choose to ask the Lord to fill us with the Holy Ghost. Nobody can force you to repent. Nobody can force you to be baptized. Nobody can force the Holy Ghost on anybody else. If we could, we would fill the people that are struggling to be filled with the Holy Ghost ourselves. But that's God's Spirit. 
for him to pour out. And in fact, free will is one of the defining qualities of how we were created. As the pinnacle of God's creation, contrary to society's thinking, your dog is not of the same value as you are. We've just passed legislation in this state for what is called assisted dying. But people will want to spend thousands and thousands of dollars to keep Fluffy alive. But they're quite happy to take Grandma to the cleaners. That's how twisted our world is. But humanity is the pinnacle of creation. God's image creature, the only image creature, created with free will. Amen. And so we have to reconcile how all these scriptures go together. And when we think about our relationship with Jesus... It is described in the scriptures from several perspectives. One, the church together is described as his body. He is the head, we are the body. The church, again, together is described as being his bride. Scripture in the scripture, he refers to Israel as a nation as his bride. And he talks about their unfaithfulness in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the New Testament church is referred to as the bride of Christ. At an individual level, somebody say, that's me. At an individual level, each of us are described as being his sons and his daughters. We are the children of God. He is our heavenly father. And yet, in the midst of that, although he is our father and he desires to have that relationship with you and I, he is also our God. He is our king and he is the king of kings. He is the creator of all things. He is the judge of the whole world. And so there is a certain amount of complexity to our relationship with God. First Timothy 1.17 says, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So yes, He is my heavenly Father, but He is also the King of kings. He is my Lord, not just my Father. And so when we talk about a person being the property of another person. We know that that's wrong. But when it comes to God, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting at verse 19, says, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? Some modern translations say you don't belong to yourself. Verse 20 says, For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He is our Redeemer. That word means that He paid a price to buy us back. He paid whatever it took to, we modern vernacular perhaps, to bail us out. He paid a price for us. He paid the ultimate price to buy us back. And so He has purchase the right to own us and we don't like that language naturally but we're not talking about another person that will mistreat us we're talking about God but again it is never at least in this age it is never against our will we are not redeemed by force we are offered an opportunity to be redeemed and we remember we just said that it is our our free will is one of the things that makes mankind special. So we get to choose. When we say whosoever will, that means I get to do what I will. You get to do what you will. But let's look at that 
from a scriptural platform. Just a few verses quickly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these, but they'll give you a clear message. Matthew 16 and 25. For whosoever will, whoever chooses, to save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will, whosoever chooses to lose his life for my sake shall find it. Matthew 20, 26 to 27. But it shall not be among you. He's talking about lording over one another. But whosoever will, whoever chooses, whoever wants to be great amongst you, let him be your minister. Now, we look at that word and we think member of parliament, important person in the church. It means servant. Let him be your servant. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. It's very contrary to natural thinking. Mark 8 and 34 and 35. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will, if you want to choose it, to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will. You see the pattern here? Whosoever will. Save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Again, for emphasis, and to be repetitive, Mark 10 and 43. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your servant, minister. Luke 9 and 24, taken from our, 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 the same passage I think we started with. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. So there is a whole lot here about losing our lives about denying ourselves, about somebody else being in control. But it all is prefaced with whosoever will. It is your choice. You will never serve God against your will in this age. But we have the freedom to choose to serve God. Amen. And the crucial part, these verses all talk about losing our lives, being a servant of God by serving others, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, but again, the crucial part is whosoever will. Because I am his child, because I love him, I choose to be his servant. Nobody is forcing us. We're not having our lives removed against their will, but we choose to be his servants. We belong to him. He paid for us. Being a servant of Jesus is an act of your own free will. Now, sometimes if you've you got young kids and you raise them in church and they, they get to an age where they start saying, why do we always have to go to church? They might feel like they're being servants. But that's, that's just part of the growing up process. But in, as we take responsibility for our own lives, we choose to serve God. Our identity, my identity is that I am His Son. That is the relationship. My choice, because I love Him, is that I will be His servant. That's the difference. John 15, verses 12 through to 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. We are commanded to love one another. Again, that involves your will. You can't force love, but to obey that commandment, you choose. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Now, is that how we choose friends? You want to be my friend? Do whatever I tell you to do. If you've got a friend like that, you need to talk to me about changing your friends. Amen. Verse 15 says, Henceforth I call you not servants, for a servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. 
it can seem a little confusing to try and understand how we are a servant and a friend and a child, all of God, and also a slave. Now, when I use that word, what does that do to our flesh? We go, I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> I don't really like how I feel about that. That's flesh. Because we, we, we want to serve God, but we still want to be in control. We kind of want a dual relationship, the perks without the price. Amen. But understanding it really comes down to what is in our hearts and why we do what we do. I've used this example before, but when I was a child growing up, and like any of us when we are children, we have no idea what it takes to be a parent. We have no idea what our parents do and it wasn't until I became a father that looking back in hindsight, I recognized that my dad got up every single day to go to work, went early, came home late every day for his family. By the time the bills were paid and the food was on the table, there wasn't a whole lot of money left for him just to do whatever he wanted to do with it and yet he did it week in and week out, year in and year out and when you stop to think about that he served us but he served us by choice because of love you see what i'm saying mothers do the same thing whether they're working secularly as well or they're looking after a home and a family which is often a bigger job they are serving out of love it's a love-based choice to serve there are sadly too many examples in the world of men who are fathers biologically but not fathers in how they operate with their families they're still serving themselves they take their pay packet and they spend on all their things the kids haven't got shoes there's no food on the table there's you know that's not being a dad you might be a dad biologically but you're not a father in the proper sense of the word a father if he loves his family will choose to serve them you know it doesn't make sense if if you're looking at it from a self a selfish point of view why would you go to work 40, 50, 60 hours a week to have nothing in your hand? <laughs> to feed children that often don't appreciate it? To pay bills that never seem to stop coming? I'm convinced that bills have meetings and get together and all come at once. Anybody else find that? They all seem to meet together and come in the letterbox the same week. It's just, I don't know how that works. But the attitude is that because of love, you see, that's why the scripture says that greater love hath no man than this, and he would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life for us, paid the ultimate price to serve us. It is a love-based choice to serve. In Philippians chapter 2, and many of you will already be there in your minds, Philippians 2 and verse 4 says, Look not every man to his own things, but every man also to the things of others. And it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, this is the example. This is the bar we aim for. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And I could spend a lot of time teaching on this passage, but Brother Swiles already teaching a series on Philippians, so I'm going to stay in my lane. Verse 7 says, But made himself of no reputation and took on him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself became obedient unto death even the death of the cross he chose to take upon him the form of a servant 
He was not forced against his will. He was not made a slave against his choice, but he served us by choice because of love. Because he loved us, he chose to become a servant. That is our example. And so with that very moving passage of Scripture in mind, how can we as his disciples be his servants? Remembering that a disciple is someone who is serving. We need to remember that he is the king of kings and that we need to treat his will as the commands of a king. And think about that. When the Lord speaks to us, he is a king. Kings don't generally negotiate. Kings speak and it is. So how, how do we serve him as his disciples? If you are a married couple here this morning, you serve one another by being who God wants you to be in that relationship. That's part of serving God, is how we serve one another in that relationship. If you are also parents, you serve God by raising and leading your family the way He wants you to. That's part of serving God. It starts at home. We instantly think of serving as connected to the church, and there's, there's, a, there's a place for that. But serving God begins in our homes. We serve God in our relationships. As parents, we demonstrate, we model a servant of Jesus to our children. They need to see us be His servants. Amen. You do your children, and I can't emphasize this enough, parents, you do your children a great, great service when they grow up seeing that loving Jesus is normal, that being in the house of God always is normal, that serving God is normal, that serving others is normal. You do your, if that's a normal part of your life, you do your children an incredible service to let them see that because they will absorb it and they will imitate it before they even realize why it is special to serve God. You give them the best head start in the kingdom by doing so. Amen. And I could pick out families here. There are some, I won't for embarrassing people, but you can see children that follow the footsteps of parents serving in the house of God. There are all kinds of st statistics about how much greater a chance your children have if parents are serving God. And especially, man, if it's fathers. Amen. Amen. Serving God should never be viewed as separate from our family. It's like we don't have family life and serving God life. They're part of the one picture. They are part of the one picture. The family of God, to a certain degree, should be an extension of your natural family. Makes it all big and dysfunctional, but it's still an extension of your natural family. Amen. We often, when we talk about God, we often talk about three things. Our time, our talent, and our treasure. And I'm going to finish with these three areas this morning. Our time. Life is busy. Anybody busy? Anybody wonder where the hours go on a day and the weeks go on a year? Life is busy, and somehow it seems to get more so, not less. That is a reflection of our society today. We have the same number of hours in the day that there's always been. There haven't been cutbacks to save cost. The government hasn't got together and said, well, we can't afford it. We're cutting back to 22 hours a day. There are still 24 hours in every day. Always have been, long as the, the balls in the solar system keep spinning, always will be. We have more time-saving devices than we've ever had, and yet we seem to have less time. It's one of those weird things. You see, time 
Time is a resource that needs to be managed. It's okay to be busy, but busy doing what? What are our priorities? You might say, well, you know, I can't be busy 24 hours a day. Nobody wants you to be busy 24 hours a day. Rest is a biblical principle. Resting is a biblical principle. Taking care of yourself is a biblical principle. Wasting your time is not good scripturally. Being lazy is not good scripturally. Amen. We have to find, that's why we have to examine what we do with the resource of time. What are our priorities? If we need to make changes, what do we remove? What do we keep? What's valuable? Some things we have to look at it in the, the, the Vogue language they use nowadays is what adds value and what doesn't add value. Are we considering the will of our king in the decision-making process? When we think about things like commitment to spiritual disciplines, prayer, the word, fasting, those things are life and death spiritually. Commitment to the house of God, serving in the kingdom of God, whether it's leading our families, reaching for others in one way or another, making a difference. Our time is one of the areas we need to think about when we think about serving God as a disciple. Our talents. We've talked a lot about this lately, but God has given each of us gifts and callings and abilities. Some of those are demonstrated in our careers, in our employment, and the kind of work we end up doing. And that's fine. We need to work. That's biblical. But whether it is in our work or outside of our work, those things are placed in us by God primarily, or most importantly, for His glory. The King must be exalted. That's the main reason he puts those abilities in us. In January, we, we taught a series on being a true witness. And in that series, I covered gifts and callings that are listed in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4. So I'm not going to get into all that. You can look at those on the podcast or talk to me about that after if you want to. But you, somebody, everybody say me. You have something that God wants to use for his glory to strengthen and to bless his kingdom there is a place for you to serve in the kingdom of god now you may be working some of this out in your life right now you may need to grow an understanding in some areas for that to happen to come to its potential it may require a fresh look at commitment it may require fresh consecration or even an attitude adjustment but it is in you god wants to use each of us sometimes it's about us letting him guide and teach and mold and shape us to be what he wants us to be that slows us down. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19. Getting back to our last lesson on being followers, it says, And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. We follow him, and he makes us. There is change that happens. When they first dropped their nets, they were not ready to be fishers of men. But they followed him and they learned from him. They watched him. He sent them out. He taught them. They became the fishers of men that he wanted them to be. If you feel like you don't know how you can be involved, but you want to be involved in some way in, the, in serving God, whatever it is, firstly, pray about it. Talk to the one who put the gifts in you. That's a good place to start. Talk to somebody in leadership. Talk to me if you want to. Jesus wants to use us all all of us, to serve Him. And the last one that always makes people nervous, our treasure. 
We give of our finances because we love him. We give because he blesses us with them in the first place. We give our tithes and our offerings out of obedience and worship. We give for the growth of the kingdom, whether it's missions, as Brother David spoke to us about, whether it's evangelism, whether it's a local church vision. We give out of compassion for others. Brothers and sisters in our local church in the time of need. Brothers and sisters in other places in the time of need. We've given in the last 12 months to help our brothers and sisters affected by natural disasters in East Timor and Indonesia and other places. We give for the kingdom of God. And as God blesses us, we bless others. Amen. But everything that we do to serve, whether it's time, talent, or treasure, everything we do to serve in the kingdom of God is about Jesus being exalted and lifted up. That's what it's about. And nothing exalts Him more than souls being saved, than image creatures being redeemed, than men, women, and children being added to the kingdom of God. Luke 10 and 2, and you'll know this verse, it says, Therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers, and I don't think it's wrong to insert the word servants there, are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Please, never ever think that what you do is unimportant or insignificant. When you greet somebody at the door, it's about souls. When you clean the church, it's about souls. When you teach your Bible study, it's about souls. When you pick somebody up for church, it's about souls. When you spend time on your knees praying for the lost, praying for our services, praying for the pastor, it's about souls. If you sit at the back, young ones, and put the words on the screen for us to read while we sing, it's about souls. If you cook a meal for somebody who needs some help, it's still about souls. It matters. When you show up faithfully to the house of God week in and week out, it's about souls. If your being here encourages somebody else to be here, it's about souls. When you give, it's about souls. Whenever and however you serve, it's about souls. You look at the epistles in the New Testament. Paul, James, Peter, Jude, John all identified themselves in their epistles as the servant of God. That was their choice. They chose to make themselves slaves to the king of kings. And whether you can do a lot or you can only do a little, remembering we don't compare ourselves, whether you can do what might be perceived to be a lot or perceived to be a little, if you do what you can, there will come a day when you will stand before him and he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's stand together this morning. Amen. Will you be his disciple? I hope it's challenging us, this series. I hope it's stirring the spirit of God in us and wanting us to say, Lord, I want to be a disciple. Don't just want to be saved. I want to be a disciple. I want to be a follower. I want to be a servant.